Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number four of Joel chapter one. We're going to be reading Joel 1, verses 9 through 13. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of Jehovah. The priest, Jehovah's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Be ashamed, O ye husbandmen. How, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley? because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. How, ye ministers of the altar, come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. And I'll stop reading there. Now, as we've been going along in Joel chapter 1, we've seen that the emphasis of this chapter is God's judgment on his own people. Historically, on uh, Judah and uh, Israel, and spiritually upon the New Testament churches and congregations at the time of the end when uh, the church age comes to a close and judgment begins at the house of God. And so when we see, as we do here in verse 9 and verse 13, references to the house of Jehovah, the meat offering and a drink offering is cut off from the house of Jehovah, it says in verse 9, in verse 13, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. We can know that the uh, judgment that's in view is the judgment on the church. Not on the world, but the judgment on the church. And that's helpful because when God then uh, is speaking of the the field is wasted and and language having to do with harvest we know that he is uh addressing the harvest within the churches and the congregations and and in, in other words the harvest of the church is ruined not the overall harvest as uh, the later chapters of Joel, Joel 2 and Joel 3, go on to give more information. Joel 2 especially lays out information of God's program of rain and and fruitful seasons, and there's still the latter rain to come at the very time that God is cutting off the harvest of the church. He uh, after 2300 days begins to send the latter rain outside the church in the world to bring in the final fruits and so we we have to keep that in mind 
All right. Uh, last time, I think we were looking at verse 9, and we're just going to finish up with that verse by looking at the last part of it, the priests, Jehovah's ministers mourn. At the time the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of Jehovah, the priest, Jehovah's ministers mourn. And, and the word mourn is found in several places, but we're only going to look at two. Jeremiah 14 is one place. Jeremiah chapter 14. And I'll start reading from verse 1. The word of Jehovah that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth, Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up, and their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. And here, um, Jeremiah is speaking the word of the Lord concerning the dearth, and and that would be chapped ground because there is no rain. And this results in Judah mourning, or Judah mourneth. And Judah here would be a representation of the corporate church. And and that tells us that God is looking at the church as the ones that are doing the mourning. And, and so when the priest Jehovah's ministers mourn, it, 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 it can have application to the unsaved within the congregations. And it, it's the language of the Bible, not necessarily did every elder or pastor or, or deacon know even that the judgment of God was upon them, but the way God is viewing it, the way he is uh, presenting it to us in the Bible, it's as though the priests mourn, just as um, the people of Judah mourn uh, due to the dearth. Also, in Numbers 14, in Numbers chapter 14, we have the situation, historical situation of the judgment on, upon Israel uh, due to the uh, the evil report. And it says in Numbers 14.32, But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness." After the number of the days in which he searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, Jehovah, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And then in verse 37, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before Jehovah. But Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And there's the word we're looking at, mourned. 
and and the people that mourned were the unsaved because the vast majority of Israelites that came out of Egypt were unsaved they they were unsaved yet at the news of the judgment of God upon them that they must wander 40 years they mourn and and basically that's the idea that it is at the news or the hearing of God's judgment that um, the priests, Jehovah's ministers, mourn. And the New Testament churches and congregations did hear, especially the, the spiritual rulers of those congregations, they did hear the news that the judgment of God was upon them as this was was declared during the Great Tribulation period. Well, then it goes on to say in verse 10, The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Now, the field, the Bible tells us, is the world. And yet, when God was bringing in the first fruits. He planted churches in the world, congregations in the nations of the world, and it was through those churches that the first fruits were brought in. And, and, and so when God says the field is wasted, the land mourneth, and that's the same uh, word mourneth that's in verse 9, it, it has to do where the first fruits were coming in. God was not working outside the congregations as he would at the end of the church age. He was using primarily the churches and congregations to save, although, of course, he could have saved one here or there outside the church. But but God's method in utilizing the churches was for the churches to declare the word and to gather the people into the churches themselves and there to worship. And and God gave instructions for um, church worship and, and there was spiritual oversight over the congregation. This was the will of God throughout the church age that the people would come under the church authority, which was under God's authority. That's exactly what God wanted to do. Now, today we have people, of course, since the church age is over, where we're on our own. We worship God outside of the church. We have no one in spiritual authority over us. But uh, which is fine. It, it is actually a good thing now. That's what God desires for his people. But that was not the case during the church age. If an individual were to hear the gospel and have the attitude, well, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be under this authority. I don't want to be baptized or or things that, that would require spiritual oversight and partaking on the Lord's table would require spiritual oversight by the leaders of the congregation. I don't want to do those things. I just want to 
um, stay home. And well, well, there, there's a problem. There, there is uh, an inclination. It seems on the person's part not to do the will of God. God wanted people to be brought into the congregation, and and there they would be fed, and and there the church would be accomplishing the will of God and and that's where the first fruits were coming forth from and that is the field that God is speaking of that is said to be wasted and 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 let, let's read verse 10 again the field is wasted the land mourneth for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. And we, we see that there are five things in view here. The field, the land, the corn, the new wine, and the oil. And each one is described with a word that indicates that there's a destruction, there, there's a ruination of the crop, wasted, mourneth, wasted a second time, dried up and languisheth. It is a very strong emphasis by God that that the harvest is destroyed. The the spiritual fruit is uh, completely perished. It, it is ruined. It it it's about as strong an emphasis as God could make. Now, uh, why don't we take a look at corn, wine, and oil, as they are uh, fairly often spoken of together in the Bible. And and first, let's see how God speaks of it in a positive way. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, Deuteronomy 11 and verse 14, where it says that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And right away, since we've become familiar with this type of language of the rain, as the rain points to the sending forth of the gospel, in particular times and seasons. Uh, remember what God says in Joel chapter 2, in verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in Jehovah your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, or which should be translated righteously, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, or as the first. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And and um, their wheat, wine, and oil. Uh, corn, a couple of times is translated as wheat, but that's not the same word, I don't think. And the rain produces the harvest, the spiritual, or, or the fruit, which spiritually points to the the word of god which is likened to the rain that produces the harvest of souls as god saves his people 
and he does it in certain times and seasons. And, and so he speaks of the first rain or early rain for the church age, the latter rain for the end of the church age period during the second part of the great tribulation. And the, the rains will, will result in the gathering of corn and wine and oil. Now in Psalm 78, we read of corn and we'll see how uh, it's given a, a spiritual representation in Psalm 78 in verse 23. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. And the manna, which of course is a picture of Christ, a picture of the bread of life, is said to be corn of heaven. And so we see that, remember, this is the Bible. And when the Bible speaks of rain, God has something else in view. Not just the the literal rain, but spiritual rain. When the Bible speaks of corn, wine, and oil, God has something else in view. Not just bringing in um, a physical crop, but a spiritual crop, a spiritual harvest is what God is looking at. In Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, uh, and I'll start reading in verse 8. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her that travaileth with child together, a great company shall return thither. And this is speaking of the great multitude that God saved out of great tribulation. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of Jehovah, ye nations. And declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him, as a shepherd doth his flock. For Jehovah hath redeemed Jacob, and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of Jehovah, for wheat, and for wine, and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Now, in this passage, God is speaking of bringing his people from the north country, which historically means Israel or Judah from Babylon, and yet it it is looking ahead to the time when God saves a great multitude and brings them out of the world of Satan's kingdom at the time of the end. And notice that he ties that in, that um, he relates them to wheat and wine and oil. And also the young of the flock, as that's a, another sort of picture that God gives that we're sheep and he is the shepherd. But the wheat 
and the word wheat here is the same word as corn in Joel. The, the corn, the wine, and the oil have to do with those that God saves. Let, let me just go to one other verse that looks at this in a very positive way in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen, and that's the Hebrew word that can also be translated as nations, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleannesses, and I will call for the corn, and will increase it, and lay no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit of the tree, and the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Now notice how God is talking of salvation. There's no doubt about that. He will He will put His Spirit within and cause you to walk in His statutes, and and uh, that will mean that we're translated uh, into the kingdom of God, and 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 so we will dwell in that land. And and then suddenly He says He will call for the corn and increase it. And lay no famine upon you. The corn of heaven, the corn that relates to fruit of, um, spiritual fruit, and it's set against famine. If you have corn, there is no famine. If you lack corn, then there is famine. Remember historically in the days of Joseph, they stored up corn, a, a, a vast amount of corn against that awful, grievous famine. And the people outside of Egypt had no corn and were suffering terribly because of the famine. And they came to Egypt because they heard there was corn in Egypt. Remember Jacob saying that to his sons, go, buy us corn. And and that, of course, that seven-year Famine in the days of Joseph typified the Great Tribulation period, and it was after two years, the first couple of years, that Jacob heard there was corn in Egypt, and and finally they went into Egypt, which would typify the world, in order to uh, be nourished by Joseph, a type of Christ, in the world while Canaan was suffering from famine. And Canaan was a figure of the New Testament churches and congregations in which there was no corn. There is exactly what we're reading in Joel chapter 1 in these descriptive terms that God is giving that are all teaching the very same thing. The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, 
the new wine is dried up, the oil languishes. It, it's the situation of the churches and congregations during the entire Great Tribulation period and after now also because the whole world actually uh, is experiencing this very type of famine uh, since the cup that God first gave to his people, the city called by his name, is the identical cup that he in proper time, the day of judgment, gave to all the inhabitants of the earth. And so we can learn as we're reading Joel 1 and reading of this terrible language, uh, these awful things, that what we're reading that had application to the church is uh, just as apt to describe the things that are happening today all over the earth and the world, spiritually speaking. Uh, This is the situation that God has brought to pass as his wrath is poured out uh, first on the churches and now on the world. Well, let's let's go to Lamentations chapter 2. Lamentations 2, which is, of course, written by Jeremiah as God moved him to write Jeremiah and Lamentations. And it says in Lamentations 2, in uh, beginning in verse 11, Mine eyes do fail with tears. My bowels are troubled. My liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the suckling swoon in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, Where is corn and wine when they swooned as the wounded in the streets of the city, when their soul was poured out into their mother's bosom? And and then it goes on for quite a while more but but you see once we understand that we need to look for the gospel the spiritual dimension we need to look for the deeper spiritual teaching then when we read scriptures like this all sorts of meaning comes forth and we understand we know exactly what god is teaching as the lament of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations is detailing and going into very uh, intimate discussion concerning the judgment of God upon his own people. It is uh, it is pointing to the judgment on the churches and congregations and God has ruined the harvest, the crop. There is no fruit, there is no corn and wine. There is no corn from heaven. There is no gospel that the wine typifies. There is no salvation. Ultimately, it comes back to that within any church or congregation. Uh, the, the salvation of God is gone. The Holy Spirit has abandoned the church. They are left to their own devices and and man cannot get himself saved they they have the bible and they can preach and they can preach even things that are that are somewhat true and faithful but they cannot save a single soul because it takes god 
to save, and God is no longer there. Well, all right, let's see uh, here. The new wine, it says at the end of verse 10, is dried up, the oil languisheth, and you know these these words are uh, they're they're all teaching the same thing. They're all um, pointing to the same truth, and God is giving the truth, and then uh, He's hammering that same truth home again and again and again. And we'll see that as we go on to the next verse, in verse eleven of Joel one. Be ashamed, O ye husbandmen! How, O ye vine dressers! For the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished, and uh, it, it's just reiteration. It, it's stating it again that the spiritual fruit within the church is gone. It, it is completely gone. There, there are none being saved. Now the, the word husbandman here is translated as plowman in Jeremiah 14. We, we went to Jeremiah 14 a, a little earlier and I'll pick up again in verse 3 of Jeremiah 14. And this is where we read earlier that Judah mourneth. It says in Jeremiah 14.3, and their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is chapped, for there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen, and that's the same as husbandmen, were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. And we uh, see readily when God says the ground is chapped, it's dry. And, and, um, I'm sure you've, you've seen a ground that hasn't had any rain for some time and it, it looks parched and dried and it, it, it certainly you cannot grow anything in it because there's no rain in the earth. The plowmen or husbandmen were ashamed. And that's what God is saying in Joel one eleven. Be ashamed, O ye plowmen, O ye husbandmen. Their, their plowmen, their business is uh, to tend the fields, to uh, to plant the seed, to nourish it to grow forth fruit. And what are they going to grow? They can't grow anything. There there will be no fruit that comes forth. And that's why God is saying these things and, and speaking this language. Now, he also goes on to say in Joel 1 verse 11, for the wheat and for the barley. That's why they should be ashamed because... This is the crop that they're growing, wheat and barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. And and there he says it. Uh, perished is translated as perish often, or destroy, or lost. It's uh, gone. There There is no recovering it. There There is no saving it. There is no rescuing 
this crop, this crop is a crop beyond repair, beyond delivery. It, it cannot be saved. And that is the situation. It has been the situation within the church for over a couple of decades now. There, There's no sense even trying to do anything towards that crop. And that's why God commanded his people, come out, get out of the church, flee to the mountains, and have nothing to do with um, churches any longer. The harvest within the church is completely ruined. Now in Jeremiah chapter 5, the Lord speaks of a, a ruined harvest here also. In Jeremiah 5, beginning in verse 15. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far, O house of Israel, saith Jehovah. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. And remember, when uh, we were looking at Joel 1, verse 6, For a nation is come up upon my land. And it was referring historically to the Babylonians, but spiritually to the nation of Satan's kingdom of darkness. And he is the king that uh, is typified by the king of Babylon. Well, in Jeremiah 5, verse 16, Their quiver is as an open sepulcher. They are almighty men, and they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread which thy sons and thy daughters should eat, they shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds, they shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees, they shall impoverish thy fenced cities, wherein thou trustest with the sword. Nevertheless, in those days, saith Jehovah, I will not make a full end with you. And it not it really amazing once... We follow God's methodology. Once we have the secret that unlocks the mysteries of the Bible, of course, that secret is to compare Scripture with Scripture, to make sure conclusions harmonize, and to have the understanding that Christ spoke in parables, and and that causes us to look up corn and wine and oil and rain and... Uh, harvest and these terms and we see how they're used throughout the Bible and and looking for the spiritual meaning and we see how God just uh, using his proper methodology uh, has written the Bible and then we can come to passages like this actually much of the book of Jeremiah can now be read and as Mr. Camping used to say, it's like reading today's newspaper. We read it, and we know exactly what God is speaking of. We know exactly what he's saying when he's using this language of a nation coming that eats up the harvest of his people, and they eat the daughter's bread that they should eat. They they eat up flocks and herds, and it it all is very understandable to the children of God. And that's why God says, a wise man's heart discerneth time and judgment. They 
they are given the ability to hear these things, to understand Babylon represents Satan's kingdom, and Judah is a type and figure of the church, and therefore this this growing knowledge as as they read the Bible with these insights, it begins to show it forth itself in passages like Matthew 24, when God commands, let those in Judea depart and flee to the mountains. And, oh, Judea is a figure of the church. And there's the abomination of desolation. There's Satan typified by the king of Babylon. And it, it just all begins to fit together. And we have a wonderful, uh, beautiful, harmonious teaching of the word of God. And we can read, and only the people of God, only God's elect people can actually read the Bible uh, with understanding, with comprehension. We can read Jeremiah 5 and Jeremiah 6 and, and 7 and, and so on, and we know what it's saying. We know why God is bothering to to fill up the pages of his holy word with information uh, concerning this particular destruction of Judah and and all this language of ruined crops and things that we find in Joel, we can read uh, with excellent comprehension Joel one, Joel two, and Joel three, as as the Lord is speaking of a harvest. Now, you know we're um, many of us who have not been listening to the churches and listening to their teachers, to the theologians, uh, listening to the pastors, uh, and we don't want to, that's for sure, but but uh, I can tell you, since, uh, well, we, we've all had experience with how they teach and their methodology, and if they would come to Joel 1, uh, we would be um, faced with teaching that, uh, that yes would look at the historical situation to a degree they understood it and didn't misplace the this period of history as uh, uh because of what some archaeologists said somewhere and and they're prone to do uh things like that they did it with the uh final destruction of Israel in the north they moved the date to suit um archaeological finds rather than what the Bible teaches, but but they would get some historical things correct. They would maybe emphasize the importance of crops uh, to Israel of old and how uh, they, they were so dependent upon this for their food source. In other words, they would they would spend a great deal of time on the earthly situation, uh, maybe on some moral teachings and and on the historical situation, and they would miss the gospel message by a mile. That it would they would be nowhere near what God is saying spiritually in Jeremiah or spiritually in Ezekiel or spiritually in Joel. They would not be able to, therefore, read the Bible with comprehension. 
they would not understand how uh, Joel 1 fits into God's timetable or program for times and seasons. And they they would not be able to relate it to the judgment on the church at the time of the end. And that is a big blind spot to have when reading the Bible, when, okay, you can understand moral teachings and historical teachings and grammatical points concerning how the Bible was written, but you fail to glean the spiritual element, the spiritual dimension of the Word of God. And and that's the, the golden nugget. That is the truth that God hid. He, he didn't hide, uh, oftentimes, the historical setting. He didn't hide a moral teaching. He didn't hide the grammar, but he hid the spiritual teaching. And, and so to read the Bible and to comment on all those other points and fail to comment on the spiritual aspect of the scripture is a failure to understand the Bible in the, the only way really it is to be understood. Or, no, we are to understand those other things, but to understand the most important aspect or part of the reason that God wrote it, the spiritual teaching. Well, um, let, let's go back to Joel 1, uh, which said at the end of verse 11, because the harvest of the field is perished. And verse 12, the vine is dried up and the fig tree languishes. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Well, now, you know, sometimes people accuse e-Bible, as they used to accuse family radio, uh, of having our own kind of agenda. You talk about judgment too much. You... Uh, you, you keep talking about the judgment on the end of the world, they say now. And, and yet, this is, um, an example of how God wrote the Bible. I tell you, at this point, personally, I get the point I'm, I'm ready to say to the Lord. You just told us in, in verse 7 that your vine was laid waste and your fig tree was barked and made clean bare. You you said in verse 9, the meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of Jehovah. You told us in verse 10, the field is wasted, the land mourneth, the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. You told us in verse 11, that the husbandmen should be ashamed and the vine dressers for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. All right, point made. And I am very much uh, of a mind to move on. Yet God isn't. God isn't. And, and again in verse 12, he's bringing us back to the very same truth, the very same teaching that he has already said. Uh, he, he's using uh, slightly different imagery and but it's teaching the same thing. It is driving it home again. 
and again and again. And you see, this is how God has written the Bible. Read the book of Jeremiah. And that, that's another book that, that, uh, when you read and, and you see the, uh, the statements of God in, in verse after verse and chapter after chapter after chapter in that, uh, that very long book of 52 chapters of the book of Jeremiah where God is making the same point and drilling it in to us and in our minds and and constantly bringing it to our remembrance that it is the time of judgment upon my people. The church age is over. I have ended my relationship with them. There is no more salvation taking place once this happens. And, uh, you know, uh, when people accuse the people of God for overemphasizing God's judgment on the church or God's judgment on the world, I wonder what are they reading in the Bible and where are they reading it? Where can you go in the Bible to escape God's tendency to declare his wrath upon sinners? Where can we go? We're, we're finding this in the book of Revelation. And, you know, there's only 66 books. There, there's not 5,000 books of the Bible. There's 66 books. And God saw fit in his infinite wisdom to give the book of Revelation that has an overwhelming emphasis upon judgment on the church and judgment on the world. Joel is another one of those 66 books of the Bible that has an overwhelming emphasis upon the judgment on the church in chapter 1 and the judgment on the world uh, in chapter 2 and 3. And where are we to go? Are uh, are we to go to some other book? Uh, oh, oh, don't go to Jeremiah. Uh, don't go to Jeremiah because we would find the same overwhelming emphasis there as well of God's judgment on the churches and congregations. And there's also information in Jeremiah, the judgment on the world. And uh, in Jeremiah 50 and 51, when the Lord... Uh, relates Babylon to the world. And, and, uh, there's so many books of the Bible. Uh, have, have these people read Nahum? Have, have they read Ezekiel? Have they read Daniel with the information that God has given concerning Daniel's captivity, which points to the Great Tribulation? And then the visions of Daniel, which, uh, again and again are said to be at the time of the end. Where are the children of God to go? The only way to avoid these things is to do topical studies to look up words like love and and peace and joy and and also to go off course and to uh, teach things that are not biblical uh, that this is what churches do and congregations do they they do not follow what God is saying, and, and that's why there's so few verse-by-verse studies done by the churches or or, or done by those that uh, don't want to hear uh, this constant reference to the judgment of God. Well, uh, in in verse 12, the vine is dried up, the fig tree 
the pomegranate tree, the palm tree, and the apple tree. That's five are named the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the palm, and the apple. And five points to judgment. Now five, uh, due to point five of the shekel in um, God's law, we have identified to the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's correct. The number five does point to the atoning work of Christ. But what is the atoning work of Christ? It was the offering up himself as the sacrifice for the sins of his people. He atoned for their sins. See, God's law requires that it be appeased, that the law be satisfied through the shedding of blood or through an atonement. It's the only way any of us could be saved. Christ had to die in order to satisfy the law's demands for justice, and he did. And that is the atonement. And therefore, the atonement has everything to do with judgment. The the atoning work of Christ was the judgment of God upon him in, in the stead of his people. So I think, it, uh, as Mr. Camping used to teach, number five relates to judgment, that that is um, a, a proper understanding when we we look at what atonement is atonement is a judgment of god for sin and and here god is listing uh five kinds of trees the vine the fig the pomegranate and the palm and the apple and uh, again similar language the vine is dried up the fig tree languisheth um, the pomegranate and palm tree also languish and the apple tree all the trees of the field and remember in Luke 21 God relates all the trees to the time of his judgment on the church in Luke 21 in verse 29 and he spake to them a parable Behold the fig tree, and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. The fig tree and all the trees, um, fig tree represented Israel of old, but Israel represents the church. So the fig tree and all the trees point to the churches as well, and they produce fruit, but not during the time of God's judgment upon them. They're they're withered. Uh, As it says here, all the trees of the field are withered, and that means dried up. When Christ cursed the fig tree in the New Testament gospel accounts, it withered away, and Remember what the curse um, upon it was. Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And straightway it withered away. And, and that is the judgment of God upon Israel of old. Once God rent the veil of the temple in twain at the time of the cross, never again was a Jew saved through the ministry of national Israel. 
God saved Jews by bringing them out of Israel and, and through his word. And yet never within Israel, within their synagogue system. And likewise, when God ended the church age and began judgment at the house of God, never again was a single soul saved within the corporate church. God still saved um, churchgoers by drawing them out of the church into the world during that second part of the Great Tribulation where uh, in the location where he was saving in the world. But never again in the church, the judgment of God upon a corporate body is an eternal judgment. And the judgment is, no fruit shall grow on thee henceforth forever, as Christ cursed the fig tree. And uh, that's what's in view here. All the trees of the field are withered. Because, it says in Joel 1.12, joy is withered away from the sons of men. And God told us something very significant in Luke 15, in a couple of parables that he gave. Uh, he, he says, I'll just read from verses 8 through 10, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she has found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And repentance has everything to do with salvation. God grants repentance to turn away from our heart, to to uh, give us a new heart and a new spirit. Then we've repented from that flow of iniquity that gushes forth out of the sinful heart that that is in each man. And that's the only repentance that involves salvation. When men repent outwardly of drinking or smoking or cursing or lying or cheating and and they they turn from an outward sin that that sort of uh, has come to the surface, but they haven't changed the heart itself. Well, that's not real repentance. That's not biblical repentance, and that's why it requires God to turn us that we might turn, as it says in Jeremiah thirty-one. And after I was turned, I repented, and that is. Repentance, and that's why there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents, because it means he's born again. His sins are forgiven. He has a new heart and a new spirit, and and joy uh, of salvation is in view when God says joy is withered away from the sons of men. And again, Joel one, its focus is on the church within the church during that great tribulation throughout the entire 23 years. No joy in heaven. For the first 2300 evening mornings, it was a grievous period for all the world where virtually no one was being saved as there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. But throughout the entire 23-year period, 
There was no joy at all, no repentance, no salvation taking place. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.